please tell me the people who did that are also in jail. No, unfortunately not. They uh, built a TV station on the proceeds, but uh, oh, it wasn't well, even illegal back then. It is now. Hi, I'm Meredith, and I'm one of the founders of Anvil. Anvil is a tool for building web apps, and one thing we learned very quickly making developer tools is that our customers were much more interesting than we were. So we decided to start recording some conversations with them. We're calling it Stories from the Workshop. For this first episode, I spoke with David Wiley, the founder of Telemix. Telemix sells phone numbers and fraud prevention, but David himself has a long and storied history with the twists, turns, scams and frauds of the telecoms industry. I phoned him up on an ironically terrible telephone line and began by asking him how he got his start. I, by origin, am a telephone engineer. I used to work for British Telecom when I was 16. I joined one of the last apprenticeships of the, um, of the era, really. Uh-huh. Um, and so I became a, a sort of rounded internal and external telephone engineer. So that's my sort of grounding from school and my first work experience. I then got involved with the private sector um, in in installing, designing and building telephone systems for massive call centres. My programming skills started with machine code, um, moving to assembler, moving to C, and then slowly, as I got older, finding it more and more difficult to get to grips with the modern languages coming around because they seem to have unnecessary levels of um, extrapolation, which uh, I I thought was was, uh, more confusing than helpful. I got involved with a guy who introduced me to the world of call centers outside of big companies um, and SMS and premium rate phone lines and things like that. So I got involved with News International uh, doing their fantasy football. Um, I did all their other um, phone-ins for companies like Heinz and I started to build what became known as interactive voice response equipment, IVR. Um, Those things where you hit a number on the keypad and it's absolutely press please press one for this or two for that yeah. i'm sorry but you've got to listen to this music for another hour um <laughs> i also did various voiceovers um but um <laughs> press one if you're being murdered press two if you think you're about to be murdered um <laughs> we um uh, um i also did live phone-ins for uh, various tv shows like parallel nine various early anton deck stuff <laughs> Uh, then we started to do interactive TV shows like The Box. Who was us at this point? Um, I was working for a company called Broad System. Um, they were the te- technical arm of News International. So uh, it was a Murdoch-owned subsidiary. They not only did the News International stuff, they then put themselves out to tender to do all the competitions like uh, we did Robot Wars, we did um, anything where... You- you saw win an Xbox or win a holiday, that kind of stuff. We were one of the biggest in the day. There were a few others as well. We weren't the only ones. Oddly enough, even working for Murdoch, we were seen as not dodgy, <laughs> which I always thought was quite amusing. Um, whereas an awful lot of other companies who did the same kind of things as us also ran sex lines and you know, various other things like that. And um, so I started to get a bit of a taste for this life and I quite enjoyed it. So I then was on the cusp of the ringtone and logo business. So it was just as, as that was starting to kick off. Uh, we're talking here sort of late 90s, uh, very early 2000. Uh, you saw an advert in a paper and there was a, a logo or ringtone that was, you know, a song, you know, the chart songs uh-huh. in very sort of bleepy form. 
And um, what oh, you would do is... We're talking like Nokia 3210s here, Absolutely. We're oh. talking, um, you know, those kind of things. So when your phone rang, it would play a tune rather than... And uh, one of my earliest memories is, uh, um, of that business was <laughs> when I decided to do it myself, because this guy was taking four page ads in the sun for about £100,000 a piece and quadrupling his money. So um, each day. So, I mean, this guy was making a fortune. So I thought, I fancy a piece of this. And so I left my job and started doing that for, you know, started doing that. But um, one of my earliest memories of being in the business, just as an aside, I was on a flight to Australia um, going to see uh, Murdoch out there, the Murdoch papers out there about something else. And I'm sitting there, the top 40 had just been released and I needed to get my ringtones made. And I'm sitting in business class with a toy keyboard that I bought at the airport. <laughs> Sitting there, I'm trying to turn it down as low as I can, trying to work out songs like Top Loader and all that stuff. And oh, sitting there writing the notation down and you know, having to put it into this completely <laughs> arcane sort of um, uh, uh, a piece of software that you know, converted you know, uh, rough notation into, um, into an actual ringtone. And uh, by the time I landed, I was at the airport. I, you know, there was no such thing as Wi-Fi back then. You had to, you know, you had to go and find one of the connected computers. I'm trying to upload all this stuff and get it all live. It, it was, it was a very interesting time. And I, um, I started advertising myself around. I was saying to other people, look, don't bother buying your own box at 25 grand a pop. Use mine. And I started to sublet space on my equipment, and that's how Telemix was born. This brings us up to the present day, or a few. Years- uh, that's 2004 now. Okay, so Telemix was where I started getting heavily involved in SMS and started getting heavily involved in, in um, you know, uh, renting my kit out as a service. And Telemix is still my vehicle today. Professional paths and mine start to uh, overlap because around 2004 is also exactly when I started getting involved in uh, uh, premium rate SMS services in Southeast Asia of all places. Oh, I remember you saying, yeah, that's right, yes. Ah, okay, it was 2004, was it? Yeah, because that's when it really started to kick off. Yes, the stories I could tell you about <laughs> dodgy Filipino... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I could match you story for story, but there's no way I'm doing them when the, while that recording light's going. <laughs> we need a beer. <laughs> it, was, it was Wild West, but um, it, was, um, it was very interesting. And of course, the... The barrier to entry was quite high, and you had to have a in the UK. You had to have a deal with Vodafone, and you had to, you know, are there with anyone's doing it initially, especially on premium rate five-digit short codes. Uh-huh. And we got involved in all that. We, you know, and I just set myself up as a, as a sort of experienced person in in that that rough thing. Yeah. Got involved with some TV companies, and we did a lot of phone-ins. We did a lot of um, shopping channel, not the shopping channel, but you know, these little shopping channel type stuff i then built an industrial number brokering system called VoiceBlade. um that okay, was like to explain what a number brokering system is certainly um telephone numbers in all countries are allocated by the um you know they're a local regulator in the uk it's ofcom so if you want a telephone number or a batch of telephone numbers to give out to other people you go to ofcom and say can i have a hundred thousand london geographic numbers you know 0207 blah 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 and they'll allocate you a range um now you don't need those hundred thousand for yourself you give those numbers out to other people and you either rent them or you know per minute rates or whatever you know you, you can't with some commercial deal to give someone else a number you have to track all those numbers you have to produce statistics you've got to bill people and you've got to do you know you know we'll route them to to the correct you know either translate it to another phone number or ip it to 
a, a VoIP box of their own. So the calls so, come into you and then you forward them on to exactly who have chosen to rent numbers from you. Okay. So I have a BT interconnect. So these numbers get mapped in the UK to a BT, uh, what they call a BT interconnect, which is basically BT do, uh, uh, partition off a little chunk of their system for you and you say how many lines you want and you pay them accordingly so i've got you know maybe a thousand lines coming in from bt uh, i've got others as well but that's just bt um and then they send the calls to me and i then choose where to put the calls and so you know if i've got abc limited over here it's taken 100 numbers i say to my management system i want 100 numbers to go over there my system emails the client saying these are your 100 numbers and each month i can run stats and they can log in as a client and see stats and see how many calls they've had the average hold times and how many minutes they've done and things like that. Okay, various, various statistics related to the phone calls that allow them to do whatever business they're doing with the numbers. Quite often these are call centers, quite often they are people placing adverts for numbers and they, and, and they want to track which ads are working. So you put one number in the Times, one number in the Telegraph, one number there, and then you get an idea week on week. And each ad quite often has a different number. So if you've got a green ad, if you've got a green ad with a slightly blue tinge, that has another number. So you can tell, you know, the very subtle differences. testing in newspapers. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it's the dying art. It's now online, but it's exactly the same thing. So um, this is what you started doing in 2004, is that? Yes, I started doing that. And I started building what was then called Bob. Um, my, my idea was... The, the software was going to be called Bob. And when you wanted to root numbers out, the idea was give it to Bob. And that's how the whole thing came about. Um, so uh, we built VoiceBlade, which was PHP based and, you know, um, God knows what on the uh, front end based. Uh, we hired a guy to do that bit. And it was a phenomenal success. I mean, it was absolutely, it went, it was the first thing of its kind. Um, and... We had international clients everywhere using it, and we were we charged 0.3p a minute for every switch minute through the system, and they could, uh, their clients could have clients could have sub clients, and it, we became an industrialized um, uh, brokering system for numbers, phenomenally successful, and you know uh, uh, you know paid the ultimate compliment by the fact that we started to get people copying it. So we had a clear run at it for five years, and that was a company called Global Telecom Limited, which uh, I ran with a partner, sadly deceased now. So now I'm back doing what I do, which is number brokering to a point, but more to the point, building equipment for people, building the next generation of voice blade, which is, which is very different now. It's not quite the um, free market we had before. The uh, uh, circumstances have changed. We have to deal with a lot more fraud related issues these days than ever we were before fraudsters are getting cleverer we're having to get cleverer in catching them we also do things um like um not only just uh, a broken numbers but things like a revenue assurance which is seeding calls for big telecoms companies mainly wholesale carriers people who deal with large-scale international dialing so a wholesale carrier will have people who buy a capacity for a route let's say calling germany so the wholesale co uh, a company will say to company a i will let you put your all your german calls through me for x euro cents a minute mm -hmm. and company a says yep that costs him for me because i'm charging my client x plus y that's fine I, I will buy that route off of you the wholesale company rarely has routes of their own they're, they're usually a link in a the chain they will go to the upstream carrier uh, sorry downstream carrier and say can you fulfill these German calls for X minus Y? So I make a bit of money. 
Mm-hmm. They say yes. So they sit there as middlemen and there could be, if you dial Germany, there could be 50 of these in the chain. Um, so company A sends all the traffic they've got by whatever means into the wholesale carrier. The wholesale carrier passes it on to company B and company B may well do exactly the same thing. They may well then, then you know, be playing the brokerage game themselves. Ultimately, it ends up at someone's handset in Germany um, and they end up talking to whoever originated the call over here. So what these wholesale carriers are often victims of are various types of fraud. Now, one of the frauds is that people play the prefix game. For instance, not many people know that plus seven, whilst it is Russia, is also Kazbekistan. And Kazbekistan is more expensive than Russia. But if the wholesale carrier hasn't correctly identified in their rating table, Kazbekistan as three cents a minute as opposed to Russia, which is two cents a minute, you send Kazbekistan out, you buy Russia. So you, all this stuff plus seven is it's 2p. These guys fulfill it thinking it's 2p. At the end of the month, these guys get a billing going, yink, but company A has already disappeared. Um, so, you know, and they've sold it at the correct Kazbekistan rates. So it's, uh, uh, they only pay Russia rates, sell it at Kazbekistan rates, therefore they make money. So there's things like that. But the biggest problem they have in massive wholesale companies is that you have staff that deliberately misrate things for you know, backhanders from you know, outside. From out- but, people outside who are hoping to play that. that yes. Thing. And they, uh, they get you know, a salesman drunk and they say, look, you know, I'll give you 10 grand a month in a brand envelope if you will just you know, play this game for me. Uh-huh. But the biggest problem, even bigger than that, is that in all countries, but particularly African countries are susceptible to this one, is the tax paid by the telecoms companies in country is different if the call originates from outside the country or inside the country. And it's different again if the call goes inside the country from one network to another or it stays on net. And they have to declare their tax. Now, how do they know where the country or where the call came from in their declaration? Well, they give the caller line identities and they give all these stats to the government who then go through and work out how to tax them. The problem is the caller line identity is just a number in a spreadsheet. You can change that. And so what they're doing is they're changing the CLIs to make it on net, which is more tax advantage advantageous than it is if the call comes in from outside where they can charge an extra tax. So this is whether it's in one telecoms operator within the country or going from one telecoms operator in the country to another one in the same country and thirdly if the call is originating from outside the country country, yeah uh, which is even more expensive tax wise so there's an incentive for them to play silly buggers with the uh, with the clis and doctor the information and africa being a a sort of wild west it is you know obviously rife so how do you stop it and how do you catch it well what you do is you seed calls into the country both externally and internally you use things like sim farms where you use a sim server and uh, you remotely control calls you originate calls from banks of prepaid sims you know the duration of the call the time the call the date the call and the cli and then you see if by the time the stats come out the other side once they've been through the mill of the exchanges whether those calls exist and the people who are adjusting these things have to adjust a serious quantity of them to make it worthwhile so there's no guarantee that you'll catch them but it's a bit like random stop and checks at customs and airports and things like that you will catch somebody occasionally and um so that is actually a booming business in africa at the moment and and i'm sure other places as well 
So that's revenue assurance. You're trying to assure that the revenue into the government is what it should be, not the revenue into the telecoms company. And so needless to say, the telecoms company is a hostile, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> and can you give, give us a sense of the scale at which you operate? Any other um, numbers you got? Yep. Uh, um, any other ridiculous numbers? Um, we got um, one of our, uh, our campaigns is doing, I think it's doing 26 million calls a day at the moment. Okay, which is a lot. Um, I've got a UK client, which is doing about 7 million minutes of UK traffic a month, which is for UK, that's a lot. Um, so what, what does that really mean? Um, millions of minutes don't really mean anything until you understand what it takes to run. Um, each, each client of mine runs on a minimum of a three server setup, which is a load balancer and two IBRs, which actually do the work. Um, I would tend to run anything up to 500 to 700 simultaneous calls on the setup like that. So um, we run, I think it's 7,000, 8,000 simultaneous calls for the big client. Yeah, that's I've a got, pretty large amount of traffic. It, um, it all kind of works. And as I say, it, it, you know, I've been doing it for years. Um, so I sort of kind of know what I'm doing with that. Well, I'm less good <laughs> you know is in the stuff I use Anvil for, which is front end really fun. So, okay. Do you want to give us an overview? Because obviously we're having this conversation because you use Anvil to Anvil, drive yep. this huge machine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what do you do with Anvil and sort of how did you end up coming across it? Right. I have made it my mission ever since the uh, voice blade system was built and I had to hire some people to essentially, I, I'm, I'm a great starter. Um, so I started the project off and I needed to hand it off to skilled people who knew how to turn it into a product. And, and to be fair to them, they got it running reasonably well, but could I get anything changed? Could I um, so the product stayed largely un, unaltered for five years and people overtook us and I could, there's nothing I seemed able to do to get the people that knew how it worked to change things. It drove me to distraction. So I thought, even if it is just a case of me putting a minimum viable product together, there has to be a better way. So I started looking at all the various low code, no code systems out there, even though I'm quite a capable programmer. I wanted to DJ these things. I wanted lots of musical components that I could put together and show everyone how they all worked. And then somebody come along and, and build it in something that made it, you know, you know, um, industrial strength and everything else. So I saw that really as my job. Um, you know, I, I was to set the direction. I was to prove to them it could be done this way. I was to find people. But the, um, the point is this. I couldn't find anything all these um, sort of microsystem-based drag-and-drop things, which looked fantastic until you realised to do anything useful, to actually do anything even slightly off-piece, you had to wrestle with this shoehorned scripting language, which made no sense to programmers or non-programmers. I was doing more work to get around the limitations of the system than I would have done to build it from the beginning. And I was just endlessly Googling, looking around for things, looking for things that allowed... I'm too much of a programmer to have that kind of system, but probably not enough to 
just bite the bullet and learn JavaScript. <laughs> so I found myself in this no man's land. Um, and I was looking at all these various PHPs, languages, and I was thinking, okay, let's just get back to what I know. Let's just do what I know and just, you know, bite the bullet. And then I stumbled quite by accident on Anvil. I couldn't even tell you what I put in the search engine to find it. And I signed up thinking, whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, another one, I'll add it to the list. You know, my path to my grave is paved with the corpses of, uh, of trialed software. And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> we'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> but what I loved, um, what immediately struck me about it was that I, I got a long way building in VB, in uh, C-sharp.net, we have uh, a .net, um, a system which would allow me to write the same code front and back, but it was JavaScript. And I, it, was, it, it, it allowed me to drag and drop things onto the screen, a very, very primitive version of what you've got there. And it built up a bootstrap system in the background. And I was, it was taking me months and months and months, and I was getting frustrated with it. I didn't have time. I was too busy being a Linux admin, database admin, salesman. Um, and so I just... I came across your thing and I thought, well, this is what I'm trying to do, but you've clearly done it much better. <laughs> and I thought, well, all right, let's give that a go. Cause I like it. I, I had to you know, struggle with Python for a bit cause I hadn't done it for so long. Um, but yeah, one language pretty much like another. So I thought this is all right. And then I thought, actually, this is more than all right. <laughs> this is actually doing pretty much what I want it to. This is bloody brilliant. And so I realized then this was probably going to change the game. The reason I wanted something like this was because if I had to hire someone every time I wanted to change something, it was going to cost me a fortune. Now I can afford to experiment and the only thing I've wasted is my time. And that to me is, 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 is the crux here. If I want to change something in the screen, I've got to book a guy in, he's got to change it. If it's not the same guy, I'll have to work out what's going on. I'll have to go around this merry dance of, oh, and um, I wanted to be able to make changes like that myself. Um, and suddenly I had it. Um, and then I got my first paying client using the Anvil stuff that I wrote. And so the business is starting to build up now. They all want broadly the same kind of thing. They want a simple, non-technical window into their phone systems, telling them how many calls they made, how many clients which client is making the money, which client isn't. The clients want to be able to download their own CDRs. Yeah, can we, can we back up for a moment and explain what exactly the Anvil part of your system does? Um, it is a, a database front end, essentially, to produce statistics. It is a configuration tool to uh, influence how the phone system uh, manipulates the calls. And it is a client-based front end, again, for statistics, um, to allow them to allocate number inventory to their clients. So that's essentially it in a nutshell. So, and how long did it take you to build this part of the system? The minimum viable product I put together probably took me the best part of a month because I was getting to know your system. And of course, every time I discovered something, I went back and did it again, you know, because I thought, oh, no, that's a better way of doing it. And I am, I'm afraid I'm, a, I'm an absolute bugger for that. I really, really do that a lot. It sounds like you're saying that took me a whole month and that was slow. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I can in an afternoon, I, I can put together a demonstration for someone in an afternoon quite easily. Um, I don't use the data tables really. I use uh, databases outside because um, 
largely we're interfacing with databases that would exist. And sometimes I just know the quantity of inserts that are going to be going on every, every two minutes. Presumably that, but the power to do that is because you have all the standard Python libraries that you would be be using if you did it the hard way anyway. Absolutely. So, um, but the biggest thing for me personally is the speed of putting up front ends. So minimum viable products, I get together really, really quickly. I, um, because that is, and using one language throughout, uh, not using JavaScript. So in writing Python front-end and back-end, I've got one language and I work almost exclusively now in Python and Bash script. There's only two languages I work in now. I don't, I don't need to do anything else. Um, and my front-ends, I can drag and drop together really, really quickly. But you connect these front-ends through to your back-end and do you want to talk a bit about how that works? Yes. Um, basically, uh, uh, my Python apps, are, uh, my Anvil apps are two halves as I suppose all are in that um, anything serious is done with server calls. Um, I quite often offload server calls to other servers as well using your uplink um, because I, is that how you control the database servers? um, Sometimes mostly I'm writing in um, PyMySQL library. I'm writing just standard SQL. So, how long do you reckon it would have taken you to build this with the traditional tools if you had just buckled down and used those? It, I, uh, I mean, the, the, the overall answer is I probably never would have done it. I never would have finished. It is probably it. But I, I spent well over six months getting very, very, very basic stuff running in PHP and JavaScript. And I still reckon that was full of security holes. Um, I probably did the equivalent in Anvil in probably less than a week. And that was only because I was learning things as I went. I still have to look Python up quite a lot at the moment because I, don't, I, um, I forget things. I'm old, you know. Um, and I, um, so I would say probably I could, if I wasn't, if I decided to not worry about the future i tend to worry too much about scalability in the future i know i do it's one of my failings but if i didn't worry about that i probably could have built one of my products that's probably taken me the best part of a year to build with anvil not because anvil slowed me down but because the client specification changed client went fast market changed regulations changed all sorts of things changed i probably could have written the whole thing well inside two weeks well inside two weeks and I probably could do it in a few days, to be honest. I'm now far more productive than I was when I first started, largely because I was still learning. I was still trying to support different languages over here. My head was in eight places at once. Now I'm pretty much absolutely dedicated to Anvil and Python. I've replaced most of my bash scripts with Python now. I've done it. You know, I've got the whole thing working. So I don't have to think in too many languages. Nowadays, I think probably I could get a client up and running with their own unscalable system not unscalable, with no thought put into scalability, probably in a few days. And that would be everything from beginning to end. I think I have fixed every bug in the system, apart from logic bugs where I've sat there scratching my head because I've, I've done, you know, plus equals instead of equals or, you know, whatever. Um, and I couldn't see the wood for the trees. That has taken me any significant time. Um, and nothing has really gone madly wrong. In fact, you go over my forum posts and you'll see anything that I think has been an issue and you can probably count on the fingers of one hand because I don't have those kind of problems. I, I understand program logic. I sometimes tie myself in knots, but I've had no issue yet that I'm aware of 
where Anvil has been the problem. So, I mean, thank you for that was uh, uh, about as glowing as we could have got if we'd like fed you a script. And I mean it as well. I, I genuinely mean it. I mean, it is, it's, it has been a joy to work with. For sake, don't go bust on me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think my heart could take it. <laughs> I'm really pleased to say that you're not the only person we've heard say things like that. So that, that, <laughs> you know, we're looking pretty positive for this. Two questions to finish. One, like, what's the most interesting thing you've learned from your customers? That might possibly be like, what's the most ingenious sort of fraud you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> what, in telecoms? Yeah, go on. Give us an idea. The most ingenious fraud. Right, okay. If you dial a mobile phone, okay, and there's a call already on it, the chances are the next call will go straight through to the voicemail. Even if it rings, the chances are they won't pick the call up, especially if it's a private number. So what you do is you put a call in, you then uh, leave a message for somebody from a number that um, attracts a payout. Okay, so an 08 number, 09 number, whatever. You then put another call into the person to tie them up. You then put another call in to go through to their voicemail again, type in their PIN, which is usually 1111 or 999 or 000, okay, the old pin hacking thing. And one of the menu options is to call the person back. Press the number to call them back and they automatically call your premium rate number. And they won't even know about it. It doesn't appear on the phone records at all. That It'll appear is... on the bill, but it won't appear on your, on your recently called. Huh. How about that? Wow, yeah. Plenty of <laughs> agility and intelligent roofing required to deal with these guys. The man is in prison, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> Not for that, but for something else. But... Um... Probably deserved it. Probably deserved. That's probably the most inventive one of recent times. I mean, there was, um, there was the best one ever, which was um, I Fancy You. I don't know if you remember that. A client actually used me to run it, and I didn't know what they were doing. What is it? Explain. They were sending out SMSs, and the sole content of the SMS was I Fancy You. To find out who I am, call 0909 da 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 That's all ah. it said. And, of course, this, this was in 2001 when scams like that weren't known. They were getting 40,000, 50,000 calls a day at pound fifty a minute, um, each one lasting three or four minutes. And what the service did was it said, uh, enter the phone number of people that you think might, be, might fancy you. And, and if you enter the same number as the person who's, who, who uh, generated your message, we'll, we'll put you in touch. But of course, there was no original caller. They, were just, they just generated 00000 to 99999 phone numbers in every range and just hit the lock. And presumably any number you entered would prompt to get a text message asking them to do the Absolutely. Uh-huh. That, is, that is gold. Please tell me the people who did that are also in jail. No, unfortunately not. They're not. Um, they, um, they, uh, they, they built a TV station on the proceeds. But uh, oh, dear. it wasn't well, even illegal back then. It is now. And it was illegal very quickly afterwards. But they were using my bloody numbers. I didn't even know about it. Um, I thought, oh, I've got a great client. I must dial that number. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) It was running because I was on a flight to Australia when it was running. And uh, my account manager at the telecoms company, who um, I had the numbers with, it was called Telecom One at the time. Um, And um, I I got off my 24-hour flight. I was say, Dave, call me. Your bloody clients have gone mental. (laughs) (laughs) um but yes so um that was uh that was the other good one Uh, uh, by good i mean you know prolific (laughs) yes (laughs) yes inventive 
Um, they also considered doing one, which they didn't do, because I think they realised they might actually genuinely have been killed, was um, um, as someone you know is cheating on you. Oh. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so um, I'm sure if I dig deep, I can find many of those. But again, some of them probably over a beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, All right, one one final question. Sure. In one sentence, why Anvil? Why Anvil? Anvil allows me to iterate software at the speed of thought, basically. Um, as I think of something, I can try it, I can change it, and I can roll back if it doesn't work. That allows me to be bold, innovative, and daring, I suppose, in the features I offer. And it allows me to go to market faster than my competitors by an order of magnitude. <laughs> David Wiley of Telemix, thank you very much. <laughs> Not a problem. Nice to speak to you guys. Thanks very much to David for joining us and to you for listening. Uh, if you are in need of number brokering service, telemix.co.uk is the link. And if you want to learn more about Anvil or find more episodes of Stories from the Workshop, you can find us at anvil.works. See you next time. Mm-hmm.